About Empathy is a podcast that focuses on patient, caregiver, and healthcare provider experiences with serious illness. We are now in our third season. Thank you for listening. Week by week, we hope these engaging conversations inspire you to have empathic and compassionate interactions. I'm Dr. Dori Sakaracia, and I'm here with my co-hosts. I'm Dr. Giovanna Siriani, and I'm Dr. Irene Ying. We are physicians working in palliative care and psychosocial oncology at Sunnybrook Health Sciences Centre in Toronto. This podcast gives voice to the patient, caregiver, and healthcare provider experience. By reflecting on their stories, we hope to improve our practice and yours. Dr. Janet Ellis is a medical psychiatrist who has extensively studied physician trauma and promoted physician wellness. From the onset of the COVID-19 pandemic, Janet committed to supporting other healthcare professionals, instituting mental health screening protocols, offering psychosocial support, and collecting research data. She is here to share her insights with us today, how the landscape is evolving and how we can care for ourselves and our colleagues. Thank you for joining us on About Empathy, Janet. Sure. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really pleased to be here. You've said that in a pandemic, healthcare teams jump into the role of first responders. Can you describe what that means? I would say that by definition, a first responder is not entirely sure about what each day is going to bring and likely to some extent puts himself or herself at risk and also witnesses the unexpected and sometimes tragic outcomes. So in healthcare, normally I would say we all get used to our particular specialty, but in a pandemic, it is unexpected. We are to some extent at risk and we certainly witness tragedy. So what have you learned, Janet, from your research in post-traumatic stress disorder and how it applies to healthcare workers during the pandemic? So I'll tell you how I Mm -hmm. ended up in this. I started Mm -hmm. off running the post-traumatic stress disorder or post-trauma mental health clinic at Sunnybrook. Mm. So I got to learn about PTSD and that led me to joining the Code Orange Committee at Sunnybrook, which is the Disaster Response Planning Mm. Committee, which led me to help set up Disaster Psychiatry Canada, also be a member of the Ontario Mental Health Response Team. And so because of all of that, my research team did literature review on psychosocial response to disaster in order to try to have the best possible evidence-based strategy to make a plan for the hospital. Hmm. So in the course of that, we realized that there was a real gap in how to prevent PTSD in first responders and healthcare workers. Hmm. And so then we looked at current prevention programs, any research evidence that exists, and applied this to, I can't tell you how many grant applications to prevent post-traumatic stress disorder in first responders. And then when COVID started, we applied similarly for Mm. grants for preventing post-traumatic stress injury in healthcare workers. Then we concentrated more specifically on healthcare worker literature, lessons learned from SARS Mm -hmm. and H1N1. And what I learned was that Acute stress disorder and PTSD are common in healthcare workers Mm. exposed to a pandemic. We also looked at the most recent literature from China, France, looking at both impact of COVID on the general public as well as healthcare workers. Mm. And really PTSD and burnout and family stress 
substance use all go up. Mm. So that was the motivation behind starting this. So mm-hmm. this was a natural extension of your expertise and your mm-hmm. other work. So for you to step up during the pandemic to support healthcare workers is really a natural mm-hmm. extension of that. Yes. Well, I mean, and there's been a huge interprofessional team mm-hmm. involved in this. HR has been incredibly supportive, occupational health. It's really been amazing to get to know the Sunnybrook family, mm-hmm. like people that we've just all been working together in it. And mm-hmm. in a way, I would say, you know, what you give, you get. I feel like I've been protected by participating in groups and working groups. And I would say it helps with sort of moral distress. So how would PTSD in this situation manifest. Right. What would healthcare providers want to be looking for? So in SARS, I think that retrospectively they realized that they had not taken insomnia as seriously as they should. Mm. And I would suspect that that was because there were many people with sub-threshold PTSD Mm. who had insomnia. And so I would say feeling jumpy and grumpy. Mm beginning to have a sense of dread and of living Mm. in fear, beginning to feel triggered by cues. So depending on what people have witnessed or how much exposure they've had to COVID directly, they will be triggered by different Mm. things. So for example, speaking to people who were redeployed to long-term care, Mm -hmm. it's become very difficult to simply enter a room now back at work, but just to enter the room reminds them of entering the room of the long-term care, feeling powerless, helpless, feeling triggered, Mm -hmm. avoiding things, feeling jumpy and grumpy, symptoms of hyper-arousal, feeling numbed, feeling very negative, thinking negatively about things, and of course, re-experiencing whether it's intrusive thoughts, flashbacks, or nightmares, which go hand in hand with the poor sleep. Hmm. So for the listeners of the podcast, you know, who don't necessarily work here at Sunnybrook or necessarily even in an urban center where generally we're better resourced, and they are listening to you and they're seeing, you know, a reflection of themselves, hopefully a little bit earlier on in the trajectory, because you talked a lot about prevention as mm-hmm. being very important. Mm-hmm. What are the some of the things that they can do? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, first of all, I think it's very helpful to understand what a normal reaction to a traumatic event Mm -hmm. is. Because I think we're all feeling a little jumpy and (laughs) sleeping not as great as before. I was like, (laughs) oh no. Yes. Yeah. One of the biggest uh, tenets of uh, staff wellness is to not pathologize, is to really concentrate on psychoeducation and to make sure that people understand that it's normal to have some of those symptoms in an acute stress response, but that you pretty much want to watch them and make sure that they don't get worse. And just to understand that this is treatable. The trouble with PTSD, unlike depression, is that when somebody has it, they don't really know what it is. Hmm. One of the Mm -hmm. commonest things that somebody says to me when they come to the post-trauma clinic is, I don't know what it is. I just can't cope. This isn't me. Because with depression, you sort of know, you feel down, okay, that's depression. With Mm -hmm. anxiety, you sort of think it's normal. But the constellation of re-experiencing and being uncontrollably jumpy, being fearful, but not really understanding the picture, how to put it together, not really understanding that actually your fear circuitry is driving this is very difficult. So to have the tools of understanding, to know what the warning signs are, Mm. and then of course, all the things that we can do to keep well. Mm -hmm. 
in terms of the STEADY program, which is the prevention program that we developed, that we received some funding to roll out in Sunnybrook. The tenets of it are psychoeducation workshops, drop-in groups for support, making sure that we do some level of distress tracking, which we've done hospital-wide, and ensuring a sense of community. So in the drop-in groups and the workshops, we try to promote conversation about self-care, about things that promote resilience, so mindfulness strategies, mm. and what you're very familiar with in palliative care. And one of the reasons I think why palliative care teams seem to have less burnout, in fact, than other mm. teams, is things like reflective practice. Mm. We take them through reflective practice exercises to try to increase reflection without judgment. Mm -hmm. For those reflective practices, does that help a lot? Like, does that go a long way to helping them from not getting worse? Well, I think that one of the things that I've learned, certainly as a psychiatrist, in fact, it would say it's the biggest thing that I've learned in terms of what not to do in order to not get a disorder, apart from obviously being lucky biologically and genetically and all sorts of other things. But mm -hmm. the biggest thing is to pay as you go. Yeah. Whereas most people have a misconception that if they manage to just tamp everything down mm. and be yeah. strong, then, you know, they're going to get through it. But actually, the strongest thing to do is to allow yourself to be vulnerable, mm. yeah. to allow yourself to identify an emotion, to feel the emotion, to process the emotion. And in PTSD, the strong instinct is to avoid it because you don't want mm, to be right. triggered into that state mm. of fear. So therefore, the reflective practice encourages mm. people to examine possibly painful emotions, possible regret, possible sources of shame, but in a non-judgmental mm. way, which yeah. in the end causes them to pay as they mm. go. Mm. Right. Mm. I love that example. That's very helpful. I feel like that that's pervasive yeah. in medicine. This yes. idea of, you know what, step up, suck it up, push it down and keep going. I feel like that's pervasive yes. in medicine. So yes. that is great advice. Yeah. Thank you. And we're probably more likely to do that in times of COVID. We're more busy mm -hmm. and more stressed. So being reminded mm. to pay as you go is mm. such a good mm. idea. Okay, one of the things I was really wondering about is obviously you did all this amazing work with disaster psychiatry and even before COVID hit. Mm -hmm. But, you know, COVID is at a whole other level in terms of how much it's impacted our world. Mm. Have there been any big positive or negative surprises? Like you're obviously a big expert in this, but is there anything that you're like, oh, this is not how I expected it to be at all once, you know, the pandemic hit? In some ways, I've always seen human beings' adaptability as our one of our greatest strengths, but also one of our greatest weaknesses, because we can adapt to the unacceptable. So in some ways, maybe because when you plan for disaster, you always imagine yourself at the brink of it. You don't really imagine what happens next. So I keep finding myself in this state of complete surprise at how quite logically the whole world is now living. So the logical extension of what a pandemic means. For example, I looked yesterday at Instagram and saw lines of umbrellas spaced in South Korea on a beach, mm -hmm. or I saw people in cages in a yeah. field in the UK I watching a concert and I just can't get all <laughs> another yeah. one of people in boxes supported by cranes looking at a sports match. Mm -hmm. So I just am bowled over by the logical consequence and our adaptation. And I wonder what type of impact it's going to have on 
our children, our animals, like the level of isolation and restriction, our young adults, you know, not having rituals, graduation ceremonies, mm -hmm. university, the socioeconomic predictors that are so obviously and sadly causing differential mortality and morbidity mm. and economic impact. Those are the types of things I end up by thinking. Do you see any possible psychiatric sort of, I know it's hard to think about it this way, but benefits to everything that's happening? Right. Well, we're still running groups for support. And so the basic tenant of the groups, apart from normal group therapy guidelines, are to try to find the positive, to find the silver lining, to increase a sense of hope, to increase a sense of growth. I've found a huge amount of people feeling solidarity, having an increased sense of community, increased sense of family. People are no longer rushing around in busyness. And so there is more time. So mm -hmm. I would say there are good things that have come out of the pandemic. And people are reflecting and questioning the way they live. They're perhaps going more towards post-traumatic growth in terms of mm. being grateful for being alive and not being severely touched by it, being grateful for having a job rather than perhaps complaining about it. So yes, I think there are many, many positive things as well. But the level of prosaic adaptation that we have all reached, I find extraordinary. Mm. Mm -hmm. yeah. I'm so sad that we're almost done with talking with you, Janet, but we always finish our podcast with what do you wish health professionals knew about your experience? So if you could complete the statement, if only they knew. If only they knew the power of reaching out and receiving support and being able to pay as they go. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That would be the biggest thing, I think. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, The power of colleagues, the power of family, and the importance of not facing things alone. That's wonderful. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. You're listening to About Empathy. We're going to take a short break to tell you about how the show is supported, and we'll be right back. The third season of About Empathy has been funded through donations to the palliative care team by the Sunnybrook Foundation. Sunnybrook is committed to patient engagement and care. By partnering with Sunnybrook, we hope that this podcast embeds patient and family experiences in all teaching and learning. To learn more about the education initiatives at Sunnybrook, visit sunnybrook.ca. About Empathy is recorded at Wellspring. Wellspring Cancer Support Foundation is a network of community-based support centers offering professionally-led programs and services to help people living with cancer and those who care for them. No referral is necessary, and Wellspring programs are offered free of charge. During the pandemic, all programs are available as online support groups, webinars, or as telephone-based supports via Well on the web. Visit wellspring.ca to find a center location near you or to access national online programming. Welcome back to About Empathy. Irene and Giovanna, I really enjoyed talking with Janet today. I think when she mentioned the symptoms of uh, <laughs> like, post-traumatic stress yes. or an anxiety reaction, it kind of does wake you up and you're thinking of different feelings that you've had. I don't know if that was the same for you guys. Mm -hmm. Most definitely. I think she was mentioning the symptoms and I was thinking, check. Check. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I don't think actually PTSD is very front of mind for me as a physician in terms of 
a response that I might have as a healthcare provider. I think I think about depression, I think about anxiety. I don't often think about PTSD. So I think it was really helpful for her to get that on our radar. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, I think for me, I've noted a, a heightened sense of anxiety around COVID-19 and healthcare in a COVID-19 setting, especially around PPE in the hospital. Right. So personal protective equipment in the hospital. It's such a procedure to get your equipment on and off. And so I find any deviation for me from that norm of, let's say, taking off my PPE really triggers a lot of anxiety for me. So for example, if I'm taking off my mask and my mask is supposed to come off in a nice fluid motion and not flick back at me, because you don't want to disperse any COVID-19 particles, potentially, you know, if there's any disruption of that, I end up thinking, okay, that's it. I've exposed myself. Now I have 14 more days of wondering about what's going to happen. Mm. So for me, I think I've noticed really that heightened sense of anxiety. You also noticed a lot of exhaustion in terms yeah. of getting back home. And the idea of getting back home, it's not like, okay, I'm going to pick up and leave the hospital. I'm going to go home and I'm gonna say hi to my kids. It's like when I'm leaving the hospital, I have to make sure all of my stuff is clean and disinfected. Mm -hmm. And when I walk in the door, I have to make sure my kids don't hug me. Mm -hmm. And I have to keep all of my things separate and I'm showering in a different area of the house and all of that. It's not like, hey, pop in, pop out. It's now a half an hour process to leave the hospital and it's a half an hour process at home to feel like you're safe to be in that space with your family. And just finding that really, really exhausting. And I'm sure all healthcare providers, physicians, nurses, anyone who works in a healthcare setting is feeling that way as well. Mm -hmm. And it was great the way she just normalized that for us. Mm. And I think helps us to understand that not to pathologize it and, Mm. and how to deal with it you know, those different exercises she talked about, just the different things they're doing to help staff and healthcare providers and the reflective exercises. So I thought that was really something nice for our learners Mm -hmm. to hear about. I mean, important not to pathologize, but also mm. important to not just ignore and push down. Right. And, you mm. know, yes. She kept repeating the value of paying as you go. And so even if you do have a very normal response, it's still stressful, right? Mm-hmm. It's still a stress response. Yes. And so we have to find ways to check ourselves as we right. go along because it's not sustainable for the long term. I also thought it was interesting when she talked about palliative care and how there seemed to be less burnout. And perhaps that has something to do with just the way how our careers are and that we do talk to people about these issues and to encourage communication Mm -hmm. and for patients to talk about what it's like to feel vulnerable when they're ill. And I think in my practice, what I've noticed my patients have told me that they've noticed that people seem to understand them better in COVID because now the whole world seems to understand that the world can change on a dime. Mm -hmm. And I think something we talk to our patients about everybody is experiencing. There's this commonality, something we're going through all together that makes patients feel more understood. Mm -hmm. And I think perhaps as healthcare providers, we understand our patients better because no matter how much we want to empathize with someone, if you haven't had a common experience, you can only go so far. Mm-hmm. But I think we have a common experience now with all our patients in palliative care who have had their life turned around so suddenly. Mm. 
And we've all now experienced that. And I think that brings a different level of understanding to our discussions with them and how we can help them. Yeah, I think that's a great example of your life being turned upside down. Obviously, our lives aren't as turned upside down as a cancer not. patient. Right. But still this idea that you can have a life-changing experience, a grief and loss experience all of a sudden. And I think that's something that most people have never experienced. Yeah. She talked about how that sense of community, and especially in the work that she's doing, has been very sort of therapeutic for her Mm -hmm. in trying to like stave off burnout. And so, you know, I can kind of see how for your patient's story, the fact that people feel like they have a greater sense of community can be helpful, although it's not the same as like pandemic plus cancer diagnosis is not the same as like just trying to deal with the pandemic on Mm -hmm. its own because, you know, there's the fears around when am I going to be able to get my next treatment? When am I going to be able to get my Mm. surgery, right? That must have been really stressful for a lot of patients. I like what Janet also said about the potential for post-traumatic growth. You Mm. know, we always talk about post-traumatic stress, that it's always a negative thing, but there can be good things that can come of it. And I just think about my own life right now with my husband you know we're both physicians that have to go into the hospital and we've juggled our schedules around so that one of us is always at home to take care of our toddler initially it was extremely difficult but now that we're in this sort of maintenance phase can i say we both remarked about what a wonderful experience it's been to be able to stay at home with her and really see her grow but I also can't help but think that this potential for growth also comes from a place of privilege. Yes, Mm -hmm. we're making less money than normal, Mm -hmm. but we don't have to worry about food on our table. We don't Mm -hmm. have to worry about paying our mortgage, you know, all the basic necessities of life. So it makes me think even more about how this potential for growth is another place where COVID or this pandemic is affecting people from different socioeconomic Mm -hmm. backgrounds in a different way. So not only are people of lower socioeconomic status more likely to contract COVID Mm -hmm. and feel the negative consequences, they're also at lower potential for growing from the experience too. So it's like a double whammy. Yeah, higher risk of post-traumatic stress, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Probably less access to resources on top of all of that. So that's a great reminder of our privilege in this situation. Mm -hmm. So we have challenges as healthcare providers, but we also come from a place of privilege in terms of the flexibility that we have and Mm -hmm. the resources that we have. I also really like when Janet said that there's both a gift and a curse to our human ability to adapt And I think that's such an amazing point. Human beings are amazing. We can adapt to anything. And that's why we're still on this planet. But we also get used to things that we wish we perhaps don't have to get used to. And you never want to get complacent and accept that this is the norm because this is not normal Mm -hmm. and this is not the way we want to stay. We want to keep working towards getting back to not having to social distance and being isolated because those things I think will long, long term have a negative impact. And when we are able to communicate in different ways again, I hope that people aren't so used to, you know, staying far apart from people that they can't get back to communicating and interacting again. Mm-hmm. I'll just add to what you said, Dory, that the greatest fear that I hear from a lot of people, parents, is more about the children, right? Right. Like they're Mm. in such a crucial stage of development right now. How is this going to impact their ability to socialize and interact in the future? So I know that's been something that has come up repeatedly. 
that sense of also adapting to emotions that are negative. I think that's right. the other thing that really struck me. And I think we see that a lot in healthcare where people are adapting to a very high level of stress and functioning constantly under a high level of stress and depression and anxiety. Yeah. And so I think that's definitely a, you know, a negative side of this human adaptation. And I think that's what we should be cautious about. And I think that's what Janet is asking us to all really yeah. pay attention to. Mm-hmm. And she did that so well. I'm so glad she was able to talk to us today. Yeah. That was amazing. We hope the story that you heard today has inspired you to engage in compassionate, authentic, and empathic interactions. We'll be back next week with another conversation. Subscribe to About Empathy on Apple Podcasts or listen on our website, aboutempathy.com. When you subscribe and rate our podcast, it helps others find us. The episode will be added to your app when we publish. Please share our podcast with your family, friends, colleagues, and health professionals. You can find the notes from today's episode and information about our show on the website. About Empathy is a Kickback Productions podcast hosted by Giovanna Siriani, Dori Sakaracha, and Irene Ying. Recorded and produced by Jackie Skinner, with additional production and writing by Laura Takahashi. Music by Jerry Finn and Jackie Skinner. The podcast is recorded on-site at Wellspring and funded by the Sunnybrook Foundation at Sunnybrook Health Sciences Centre. Visit us at aboutempathy.com.